you can still see the character of Christ at work in your life. Who declares in Matthew 11.30 that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Amen to that. Sin in your life weighs you down to the point that you don't want to carry the burden anymore. Thankfully, the burden can be lifted once you decide to turn from your life of sin because you no longer want to disappoint God and acknowledge your need for a Savior in Jesus Christ. The heart surgery begins there and the Spirit joins you in your fight. But now it's not just a fight, but it's the good fight. In 2 Timothy 4, 7. The words heart surgery are not unique. The act of heart surgery means that a surgeon is repairing damage to the heart to return it to a place where it is beating and performing as it should in order to sustain life within the patient. That's what heart surgery is all about. Fixing things that are broken. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ performs his surgery for me on a regular basis. And frankly, we all need it on a regular basis. Because I know that I sin and fall short of his glory. And I need his spirit to make those repairs in me. I know, in spite of my position, that I am a work in progress in my goal to be a faithful, loyal servant of Jesus Christ. And I'm getting better at it. I don't take as many trips down Fool's Lane as I used to. Amen. I still have a long way to go. I am still receptive to the Spirit continuing this surgery that removes the heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I want the stubbornness and impatience to be thrown off for obedience gentleness and compassion and I want people to see my life as a testimony in my obedience gentleness and compassion living a life of thankfulness in Christ now that's my story I don't need to remind you what it is to be the wrong kind of fool now do I there are examples of this type of fool everywhere you turn. Let me give you a quick summary as an example. An NFL player who will remain nameless has 11 children from 10 different women. Now, if they were running a race, the player and the women, all 11 of them, together for the prize of top fool, who do you think would win? Well, let's pretend. And they're off. 
And there they go. There's the football player in the middle. He's looking to the left, looking to the right. And the ladies are keeping pace with him. And they're running just as fast as he is. He's running hard, but look at the speed of the other women keeping up with him. It would be stride for stride all the way to the finish, and it's a photo finish. A photo finish. You can't tell who won this race because there's no such thing as a winner in this race. Everyone loses. And the children involved are also on the losing side because of the lives they now have with these relationships or a lack of relationships. Being a fool has consequences that affect others in a very negative manner. And only God himself can rescue and heal those who suffer from the fallout. His love, grace, and mercy prevails over selfishness, pettiness, and evil. Praise the Lord for that. God is the only one who can repair situations like that. We need more people to become fools for Christ. That's what we need. This is an acceptable kind of fool. Why use the term fools for Christ? Because Paul spoke about this exact term in Scripture. He was giving counsel and instruction to the Corinthian church about what true leadership in Christ represents. He stated in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 9 and 10, that he and his disciples were fools in Christ to the world because their message of the gospel has made them stand out in a peculiar way before others. And that they have been subject to ridicule, dishonor, and oppression. And that's how it sounds for us today. The world doesn't see our message as being necessarily a welcoming message. We're usually ridiculed. There's even a couple of references in Acts, uh, uh, in Acts, the book of Acts, where Paul, in proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, he was called crazy. He was called, well, you're insane. This is not hard to understand. Because believers today are often referred to as weird. Or, you've heard this term, Jesus freaks. That's an old term that goes way, way back. Or even nuts. More often than not, you are an outsider and treated differently among your friends because you know it's because of your faith. It's nothing that should catch believers off guard. I'd rather be on the weird side than on the wrong side. I'd rather be left out of a group because of my faith than lost and without hope. The passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 are meant to be an encouragement to any of us who have been ridiculed or even mistreated overtly or even covertly. Because sometimes you don't even know. But God does. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 and 19 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. And if you go a couple more verses to verse 21 there, it says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And there is a reason why Jesus embraced the children who ran to him. They saw something in him. The children saw something in Jesus Christ that some of the adults with their hardened hearts would never see. He knew of their innocence and declared that whoever becomes like a child and humbles himself before Jesus Christ will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Be encouraged, for God knows what you're going through. When you are down, he will lift us up. Amen? When we see signs that we are losing, he will remind us that we already have the victory. Even when we are ridiculed, he reveals to us his grace and compassion. He covets your prayers and your relationship with him, and he will affirm you as you seek after him and follow his instruction. I sincerely pray that you will consider that being a fool for Christ is a much better way to live than being just another everyday fool. Amen? Thank you. And now it's time for part two of our music program. We are right on schedule, too. That is amazing how that happens. Um, <laughs> here is Miss Jackson one more time. Uh, that was wonderful, Mel. Oh. Can we give him another hand clap? <laughs> awesome, awesome message and reminder. Uh, the second song that I'm going to sing is titled When I Get There. It is a song that I wrote. Um, I was sitting one day and I was thinking about what would it be like when we get to heaven? What will our eyes see? What would our ears hear? And I just really began to think about that thought and it turned into a song. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, it is a song that I wrote, and it, it is downloadable on uh, iTunes. If you just Google my name, it should pop up. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. I spend my life learning about you, God. 
Thank you. <laughs> okay, and now for the main portion of our program, um, I'd like for you to welcome Ms. Kelly Parker um, to us today. She is the first lady of a, <laughs> um, for, of a pastor, uh, Mr. Levert Parker, who is a pastor up at Christ Community Church. Uh, you guys are meeting now in University Heights, I believe. And uh, as part of the Alliance group. And uh, Ms. Parker, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard her before, but watch out. Look out, America. Um, she's a writer, speaker. She does blogging. And uh, she just gives amazing testimonies. 
and uh, I'm not going to embarrass her any further. But, uh, <laughs> but I'd like for you to give her a rousing welcome. And is this in the right place, or do you need this moved? Right. I think everybody can. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's show and tell, too, here today, see, also. So let's be aware of that. So I'd like to welcome Miss Kelly Parker. That's right here. Hey, y'all. How you doing? Y'all looking good? You feeling good? All right. Listen, I got three kids at home, so when Sister Lynn called me and extended to me an opportunity to have two-plus hours away from people calling my name and asking for juice and carrying on, I came a-running. So thank you for having me. Thank you, Pastor Gus and his wife. Thank you to the Gaines. They're such beautiful people, just like the rest of you. So let's get into it if it's okay with you. Amen? Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this time. Lord God, we thank you because you're good. We thank you that sometimes our life doesn't line up with that declaration, but you're still good. That you woke us up this morning, Lord God, that you breathed the breath of life into our bodies, Lord God, that you hung the stars up in the sky, that you speak and things just fall into existence, Lord God. So we thank you, Lord God, and we worship you, Lord. I'm asking, Father, that you take these next few moments and you use them for your glory and your purposes, Father. That you confuse the plan of the enemy, that you silence all distractions in the name of Jesus, Lord God. Would you take these moments and lift our heads? Would you take these moments and encourage our hearts? Would you take these moments and take your word and personalize it for every ear in the room? That they might hear for their situation, for their moment, What thus saith the Lord? Would you hide me behind your cross? Would you use me as your instrument to do only what you want so that you're pleased? Father, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord God, and I pray that I don't squander it, Lord God. I pray that I don't get in the way of what you want to do. I honor you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So... You know, I was telling you, so I got the kids. They're 10, 8, and 5. So you pray for me, y'all. Pray for me tonight because it's real. Now, I worked in corporate America for many years, about 10 years or so, and then I decided to come home with my kids. I've been home for about two years. And so this year is interesting because it's my first year as a daytime empty nester. Yes. There is such a thing, I've decided, because I'm living it. So this is my first year where all of my kids get on the bus in the morning, Lord. And it is a beautiful thing. When I see that bus come around that mountain, I say, see y'all, see you at 3 o'clock. I'll be here waiting for you. So I love to have my day, and I can clean uninterrupted. I can do what I want to do uninterrupted. But I tell you, 3 o'clock come fast. I said, I think I, somebody's messing with my clock, because ain't no way that it's 3 o'clock already. But it comes, and when they come in, they come in like savages. I mean, they fling the door open, and they want to eat. They're all in my, in my cupboards. They want snacks. They want this. They want that. And my little, you know, pocket of peace is just a memory. So one of the ways that they like to pass the time, especially the youngest two, is a game that I picked up that's rather cheap at Walmart or wherever, Shoots and Ladders. 
Have you ever played it? Well, it's a fun little game. And if you've ever played it, you know there's a board, and it's got squares on it marked to 100. And it comes with a little spinner, and you spin it, and it's got one through six. So if you spin it and you get four, then you get to move four squares. And the first one to get to 100 wins the game. So simple premise. But what makes it interesting is that some of the squares are shoots, and some are ladders. So the ladders allow you to climb up and navigate to that 100 square more quickly. But some are shoots. My kids don't like the shoots. Because the shoots, they take you down, right? See, when you land on those, you have to go backwards. The things that you worked so hard for, now they're just but a memory. So when they land on those squares, they get the big crocodile tears in their eyes, and they're so disheartened that all their hard work has suddenly just gone down the drain. When they land on the shoots, they're so discouraged. They're ready to fold up the game board and give up. They don't want to play anymore. That's when I have to step in, and I have to wipe their tears and remind them that the game is not over. I have to say, I know it's not easy, but... Keep going. Keep moving forward. You may be able to identify with them. Maybe you may be navigating a season of your life where it seems like you're going through one shoot after another, one bad turn after another, one detour after another, one bad piece of news after another, one heartache, one mistake, one bad decision after another. And it feels like you're spiraling out of control right down to the bottom. Like you just can't get ahead. Like you're bumping your head and getting scratched and bruised up all along the way. I want to tell you this morning that you might be bruised, but you are not broken. Wipe your eyes. It's not time to give up yet. You've got to hold on because God's got this thing all under control. See, you might have endured some heavy blows and some wrenching setbacks along the way that left you believing the lie that you are broken. Now, brokenness can be good if we're talking about humility before the Lord. That's great, but that ain't what I'm talking about. Yes, I said talking about. I'm talking about broken as in it don't work no more. Yes, I said no more. See, sometimes life is so difficult we think we're broken. As in no good, as in defective, as in useless, as in inadequate, as in why don't I just give up because this thing ain't worth living no more. I want you to know that the going might be getting tough, but the game is not over, baby. You might be experiencing a season of intense testing, of extreme attack from the enemy, of hardship in your home, on your job. You might be walking through a season of physical, emotional, mental, or financial difficulty. But you got to remember, although it looks like the chips are down, that your life may look like it's in a bunch of broken pieces. It's not over. No, no. Your story is still being written. You know how I know that? Because you're still here. You're still breathing. It's not over yet. You might be a little banged up. You might be coming unglued. You might be a little frayed around the edges. But you are not broken. See, what man says is unusable. What man says is nothing is actually very precious in the hands of a mighty God. God uses the cracks and the bruises and the tears of life to bring about something beautiful in you and beautiful in me. But we have a habit of counting ourselves out too soon. We have a habit of saying, my background ain't the best. 
don't make the best decisions. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. My circumstances are not as they should be. But C.S. Lewis says hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. So you need to know that the very things that ail you, the very things that you might even be ashamed of, are the very things that God will use to mold you into the person that he wants you to be. So this morning I want to visit a biblical account of a woman that, by all human standards, was not worth very much. In fact, she was on the low end of the totem pole of her society. She led the kind of life that we would all probably look down upon at her with disgust and disdain. But despite her shortcomings, she allowed her faith in God to govern her life. In spite of her situation, God not only delivered her, but he used her to bless others. I want to talk to you about a woman named Rahab. So if you have your Bible, if you have your iPhone, or however you get the word in you, and you in the word, pull it out, because we're going there. So if you have it, let's go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 2. So while you are finding that and getting situated, let me give you a little bit of background. So when the book of Joshua begins in chapter 1, we find that Moses is dead. Okay, he's passed on, and now it's time for Joshua, who was his assistant. It's time for him to take the reins and to lead the people of Israel. In chapter 1 and verse 2, God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you, Joshua, and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm going to give you, right? Verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Just just background for y'all as you're turning. Chapter 1, verse 5 says, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. So that's the way that God is setting up Joshua for this, this mission that he's sending him on. So... With that being said, there is no question that God was going to give his people the land. That wasn't the question. The only question now was how. A battle plan, if you will. Before attacking the land, Joshua needed complete information about it. He needed to know about its gates, its fortified towers, its military force, the morale of the people. To that end, Joshua sends in two spies to assess the situation. Herein is chapter 2 of Joshua, and that's what we're going to read. Now, I'm going to give a disclaimer. Now, I know we done ate, and your eyelids might be getting a little heavy. Now, put that next to the fact, I'm getting ready to read the whole chapter. I'm getting ready to read Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 24. So hang in there, okay? Care for one another. Nudge your neighbor. Be your sister's keeper, okay? We're going to make it. Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1. This morning I have the New American Standard Bible, so that is the version I'm going to be reading. So we are in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1 reads this way. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot. A harlot is a prostitute, and your version might say that, that word there, whose name was Rahab and lodged there. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. 
But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. So is everybody following the story? Joshua sent the spies. They went to the harlot's house, the prostitute's house. She hid them. People came looking. She lied about it. She said, I don't know, bruh. They not here. Right? Verse 8. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard now the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Verse 14. So the men said to her, our lives for yours if you do not tell this business of ours. And it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So catch the picture. Rahab said, yeah, I hear y'all, but <laughs> I need you to do something for me. See, I know about the God you serve. And so uh, let's make a deal, right? Okay, verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window. For her house was on the city wall, so that she was living on the wall. She said to them, go to the hill country, so that the pursuers will not happen upon you, and hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return. Then afterward, you may go on your way. The men said to her, we shall be free from this oath to you, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down and gather to yourself into the house, your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. It shall come about that anyone who goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be free. But anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. Verse 20, we almost there. Almost there. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from the oath which you have made us swear. She said, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Verse 22, they departed and came to the hill country and remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. Now the pursuers had sought them all along the road but had not found them. Then the two men returned and came down from the hill country and crossed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they related to him all that had happened. 
verse 24, last verse, they said to Joshua, Surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. Amen. So, Rahab was a lot of things. But she was a woman of faith. I'm not making this up. Does it not say in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies? So I want to give you three truths based on this passage that we can cling to, that as you travel through the shoots and the setbacks and the trials of life, I want to give you three truths that you can cling to to help you stay the course. Amen? The first is this. Receive God's love and acceptance. Receive God's love and acceptance. Despite her situation, her life choices, and her past, Rahab still experienced deliverance. It didn't matter what her background was. It didn't matter what her occupation was. It didn't matter what she came out of. It didn't matter the choices that she had made. When she reached out to the Lord in faith, she was fully accepted and embraced. You see, God isn't just for one kind of people. He's for all kinds of people. My son is eight now, but when he was much younger, probably about four, one day he walked up to me out of the blue, and he grabbed the sides of my face with his little hands, and he brought my face really close to his. And I'm thinking, where is this going? And he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and he said, Mom, I can't stop yelling you. so sweet but you know what here's the truth you need to know god can't stop loving you did you know it is literally impossible for god to stop loving you like he can't do it you do know there are certain things that god can't do right god can't lie god is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should change his mind will he speak and not act will he promise and not fulfill god can't get tired Does not the Bible say that he neither faints nor grows weary? God can't take on the job that he can't handle. The Bible says there's nothing too hard for the Lord. God can't be unholy. That's why the heavenly hosts cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. God can't be prejudiced. That's why the Bible says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. God can't break a promise. The Bible says, my covenant I will not break nor alter the word that is gone from my lips. God cannot remember sins that he has chosen to forget. The Bible says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God cannot abandon you. That's why the Bible says that he will not leave you nor forsake you. God can't stop thinking about you. That's why the psalmist said, how precious also are your thoughts to me. Oh, God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they will be more in number than the sand. And you know what else God can't do? He can't stop loving you. The Bible says, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. It is impossible for God to stop loving you. Do you know that you have never had a moment where you've lived where you were apart from the love of God? He loved us in our worst condition. That's why the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son for your sin and my sin so that we could have eternal life. That's why Romans chapter 5 says that God loved us in our worst condition. While we were ungodly, while we were powerless, and we were sinners, he died for me and he died for you. He loves us so much that we can't understand it. 
That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 that his love surpasses knowledge. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Does not Romans 8 say the same thing? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? There's nothing that you could do that would make God love you less. Nothing. You might be thinking, listen, that's nice, but you don't know me and I don't know you. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I do. You don't know nothing about me, but I do know this. God exists outside of time. So what does that mean? That means he's in this moment just like he's in tomorrow, just like he's in five years from now, just like he's in 25 years from now. So really, you're the only person that's shocked by the dirt you do. He's already well aware. He loves you in the totality of who you are in a way that you're not even aware of yet. That's deep. But that's how deep the love of God is for you. The fact still stands that on your worst day, he loves you with an everlasting love. So why am I spending so much time talking about the love of God? Why? I'll tell you. Because it is a key foundational truth that you have to understand to be able to properly process your life. What do I mean by that? See, it's kind of like this. See, when life happens and stuff gets difficult, experience pain, life doesn't feel good, what is one of the first things that we're tempted to doubt? God's love. You know, because if he really loved me, he wouldn't have let this play out like this. If he really loved me, it wouldn't have ended like that. So we have to decide on the front end that we're going to anchor ourselves in the truth of God's word. So kind of like this sometimes we mess up and we feel riddled with guilt and if you're not settled already on the love of God for you in your life you will begin to doubt your worth when people forsake you and mistreat you and you don't measure up to the standards that they put before you if you're not settled on the truth of God's loving embrace for you you're going to be tempted to think that God views you like people do and that you don't deserve his acceptance either so we have to be settled and fully persuaded of the truth and then use that lens to process our experience and not the other way around you can't look at your circumstance and use that to understand God it doesn't work like that you got to start with the truth and then use that to process your life listen whenever we embrace truth we experience freedom That's why Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So when you embrace the truth about God's love for you, you, you're free. You are free from the need to find approval and acceptance and significance from other people because you know you already have it from the Lord. You're free from feeling like your friends and your family and your boyfriend or your wife or whatever has to accept you. Because, you know, you have it from the Lord. You're free from the futile effort of performing for God's love because, you know, you can't do it. You're more able to accept rejection or criticism because you know that you have acceptance from the Lord. You're better able to handle life's disappointments because you've learned to trust God's heart and his intentions for you. You know what else you can do and I can do? You can start to like you. And I can start to like me. Because I understand, you know what? The Lord likes me, and he loves me too. So on the flip side, when we don't embrace truth, 
deception and bondage will follow. It just does. See, if we're not settled on God's love for us, we will find it someplace else. So know that the first step in walking in God's love and acceptance for you is accepting the gift that he's given you in his son. The Bible said as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? No, really. Not did you come to church. Not did your grandmama read you the Bible. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? We all have to ask ourselves that tough question and be sure that we're on the correct path. Amen? That's the first tip. Receive God's love and acceptance. Number two, be a blessing. This is what I want to tell you. Even though you're going through a tough thing right now, some tough stuff right now, you can still be a blessing to somebody else. See, the trick of the enemy is to believe that, you know, I got some things going on, so I'm not going to come around. I'm going to skip church today. I'm not really doing the whole Bible study prayer. Mm, I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to stay to myself because I got some things going on. We're all in progress, right? But if you are waiting for all the kinks to be worked out of your life, and you are waiting for every circumstance to be just so, to be a blessing to somebody, it is never going to happen. God has given you gifts and talents and abilities. He's given you a story to tell through the things that he's allowed you to experience. And that can be a blessing to somebody right now, today, like yesterday, not when things get better. So we have to, to take some notes from what Rahab did. Did you notice in verses 12 and 13 that Rahab sought deliverance not just for herself, but her family? She said, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. She said, give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. You see, even though she had it tough, she wasn't just concerned about herself. She looked to the interests of others. Is that not what we're taught in Philippians chapter 2? It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do you, did you know that your pain can be a blessing to somebody else? kind of like this but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed see we are the beneficiaries of the blessings of the pain of Christ that he suffered that he was crushed that he was bruised and now we're blessed so there's some spots in your life where you're being crushed and you're being bruised and you're being broken but it's to bless somebody. Second Corinthians chapter 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the compassion we have received from God. Who are you comforting? I know you're hurting. But who are you comforting? You see, through God's mercy, he uses us in spite of our mess. 
So when we're going through and we're tempted to detach from people and get inward and hide out, it's very damaging. One of the most detrimental things you can do during times of great struggle is to detach. So, number one, we need to receive God's love and accept this. Number two, we need to be a blessing. And finally, number three, and this is the part I like, we have to pursue deliverance. Let's go back to verses 12 and 13 again. Rahab said, and she's talking to these spies, she said, please swear to me by the Lord that you're going to deliver me. Like, like I, I don't have time to play no games. Like, you here and I'm here, and we're not about to let this moment pass by without my situation changing. So swear to me, like for real. She was adamant about deliverance. You see, she refused to come in contact with the chance of deliverance and then be forced to remain the same. So you see her pleading for deliverance. She refused to come in contact with these people that could change her situation and not take advantage of it. She insisted that something has to be different. Because I'm coming in contact with you, something has to change. So let's talk about you. Let's talk about me. So because of Jesus, we have all access passed to God. Amen? He is the only person that can deliver us. Yet we come in spots where he's at. And we don't insist on anything. Come to church, eyes glazed over. Sleep through your prayer time. That's not what this woman did. She said, listen, I have an opportunity for something that's about to change my life, and you best believe I'm going to take full advantage of it. So let me ask you something. Are you taking full advantage of the all-access pass that you have to the great deliverer? Or are you letting him pass by? My God, I think we all have to sit up a little bit straighter and say, my goodness, if the deliverer is in the house, please deliver me. You see, you can't encounter him and remain the same. Women of God, we must insist upon deliverance. Too many of us, myself included, we give up so easy. Well, I tried to read my Bible and I didn't understand it. I didn't know. I didn't know. Whatever. I prayed. I didn't hear anything. I don't know. Whatever. Really? We will Google something that means nothing with more persistence than we seek the throne room of God. If you didn't re- understand it, get a concordance. Ask somebody. Pastor Gus would love to break it down to you. What are you going to do to insist upon deliverance? Is it playtime? No. Own it. If you're walking with Jesus and you tell him that you have a personal relationship with him, own it. The scripture says the fruit of the spirit is love and peace and patience and on and on. That is what should be playing out in your life. And if it's not, own it. God does not always change our circumstances. But I'll tell you this. He does want to impart strength 
and encouragement and nourishment for the journey. He wants to give you joy. He wants to impart peace. He wants to give you self-control. He wants to give you long-suffering. Only if you would insist upon it. Will you fight for it? Will you turn the TV off for it? Will you get off Netflix for it? What are you willing to do for it? Some of us like bondage. Can I just be real? Some of y'all like bondage. You like being caught up in the same stuff year after year, day after day. Some of y'all need to get tired. Are you tired of going around the same mountain? I bet the deliverer is in the house. Will you insist upon it? Some of us have stopped praying because we've decided that it's not working. And the enemy loves it. He loves you for it. He loves you for it. That you won't get up early. You won't turn the TV off. You, you, you just won't. You just got to, your God is your belly. And he loves it. But this woman, this prostitute, she knew how to fight. And I'm telling you, people of God, the word for this moment is you better learn how to fight. The deliverer is in the house. Will you fight? Do you remember Jacob in Genesis chapter 32? Remember he got into a wrestling match with God? And his words in verse 26 were, I will not let go unless you bless me. Sometimes we let go too easy because the road is so difficult and we're so tempted to let go. Come on. Where's that dog at? Do you know what I, do you know what I mean when I say that? Were you willing to fight? You willing to fight for something? You know it's not a game. What? I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and read. I don't have time. The deliverer is in the house, and something got to change in my life. My circumstance might not change, but I'm going to change because that's available to me. Deliverance is available to you. So it's time out for being scared. It's time out for playing church. It's time out for all that. Let's go to war. You see, Rahab was so serious that she said, swear to me, number one. But she said, number two, you got to show me a sign. You got to show me something. Because I don't have, I can't be bothered. Like, are you going to deliver me or what? So in verse 12, she says, give me a sure sign. Uh-huh. She wanted a sign. She wanted a visual representation of her deliverance. She wanted a sign that when the going got tough and the world all around her was chaotic, she needed to know that her deliverance was sure. She needed to know that the spies were going to make good on their promise. She wanted a sign. She wanted something to look back to as a reminder of the agreement that had already been made. She wanted a sign. She wanted something that she could look to to give her hope for the days of come, to come. And so she took a scarlet cord and she hung it. From her window. And so she had a sign. But woman of God, did you know that you have a sign? And it's this cross. You see, when your circumstances are shaky, and all you see is trial, and all you see is hardship, and all you see is turmoil on every side, you can look to the sign of your deliverance. That you can look to this cross when you're wondering, is it ever going to get better? You can look to this sign of your ultimate deliverance. And it will remind you that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. That it will remind you that ultimately it is going to be all right. 
It will remind you of the covenant relationship that you have with Jesus. It will remind you that nothing can separate you from the love of God. It will remind you that you don't have to worry about who they put in the White House because you are on your way to your father's house. It will remind you that, yeah, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. When the going gets tough, you ought to be like Rahab and you ought to look to this sign. So, Rahab is an example that we should accept God's love and acceptance. We should be a blessing to other people and we should pursue deliverance. We should put on our boxing gloves and be ready to fight. But because of all of that, this is not the last time that we see this woman in the scripture. I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 1 and read you a little something, and then I'm going to close. Is that all right? Matthew chapter 1, we see the genealogy of Jesus. We see the different people that the Lord used in order to bring about the Messiah into the world. Matthew chapter 1, and when we look down at verse 5, we see something very interesting. It says that Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. We stop right there for a couple of reasons. If you, the single ladies in the house know what it means when I say Boaz, because you might be waiting on the Boaz, amen? So listen, this is for somebody. Rahab is Boaz's mother. Listen, God will preserve your kids in spite of you sometimes. See, despite her past and her mistakes, that the Lord used her to bring about this man who was the epitome of character and integrity. So that's one reason to pause. But the other reason to pause is to think that the God of the universe thought to use the lowest of the low in society to bring about the master plan for the redemption of mankind. Is that not the most beautiful thing you've ever heard? It's so interesting because there's only four women included in this genealogy. Mostly it just goes from man to man, but there's four women that are included. And what's so interesting is that they're all sketchy, not just her. That's what I love about it, right? So you've got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, right? You've got Rahab, who was a prostitute, as was Tamar, according to Genesis 38. Then you've got Ruth. She was a foreigner, right? That's very unexpected in this context. Then you've got Uriah's wife, and you might have heard about that, right? Caught up in adultery. So it's so beautiful that God is pointing us to the fact that he will take the worst of the worst. He will take the lowest of the low. He will take the messiest. He will take the craziest situation and turn it around and use it for his glory. Has anybody ever seen a mosaic of any kind? You know what I'm talking about when I say that? It's made of trash, broken something or other, right? Broken tile, broken glass. Stuff that you would ordinarily sweep up and throw away. Like, hey, I don't, I don't need that. It's of no use. But when it's brought together, it makes something beautiful, something to admire. 
And that's what you are and I are. That's what the Lord is doing in our life. He's making a mosaic, something beautiful, where he's taking the rough edge, jagged pieces that look like a mess, and he's repurposing them to make something beautiful. So as we receive God's love and acceptance, as we seek to be a blessing to others and relentlessly pursue our deliverance, we will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we might be bruised, but we are not broken. Amen. Thank you, Kelly. Give her another round of applause, please. Well, that was, I was expecting something great, but that was beyond great. Fantastic. Praise the Lord. Amen.